Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started with today's episode, I have a really exciting announcement. Wonder Media Network's Encyclopedia Womanica has been nominated for a Webby Award. We need your help to win. I'd so appreciate if you could vote for Encyclopedia Womanica as the best science and education podcast. You can find the link to vote in our episode notes. Now let's get to it. Hi, I'm Jenny Kaplan, co-founder and CEO of Wonder Media Network. Welcome to the season two finale of Women Belong in the House. This season, our goal was to uncover what it's like to actually serve in the U.S. House of Representatives, particularly for people our founding fathers never imagined would be there. When we started production on this season, we knew that the people of the 116th Congress were serving in a historic time. From the moment they were sworn into office, this term was unprecedented. But we couldn't have guessed, even just a few months ago, that the hallmark challenges were so far from over. From government shutdown to impeachment to pandemic, our legislators have been through a whole lot over the past two years. For this season finale, we're looking back at what it's been like to serve through these pivotal moments in history and looking ahead at what the future may hold. Never have I been so acutely aware of the power and responsibility of our federal government. I've been inspired, saddened, scared, and hopeful through the creation of these episodes, and I hope you felt some of the same. Let's start back at the beginning. On November 6, 2018, the most diverse Congress in history was elected, with a record number of women heading to Washington. A record-breaking number of women ran in the midterms and won last night. Do you solemnly swear? Where the 116th Congress sworn in today is the most diverse in history. There are now more than 100 female members, the most ever. It includes the first two Native American women to serve and the first Somali-American woman. But the makeup of Congress wasn't the only reason that swearing-in diverged from the norm. These members officially took on their new roles in the midst of a government shutdown. 2019 promises to be another tumultuous year as lawmakers look to end a federal government shutdown. Well, despite day 13 now of the government shutdown, it's an historic day at our nation's capital. The 116th Congress will be fully sworn in. One of the Democrats' first orders of business, passing a bill to end the partial government shutdown, but it's not expected to survive the Republican Senate or a presidential veto. And after 13 days, the shutdown's impact is growing. Here's Representative Abigail Spanberger from Virginia's 7th District. It was such an extraordinary time because even even personally, I, I, I'm a former federal employee myself. I represent so many federal employees. 
And so the personal struggles, I mean, we had food banks for federal employees in my district. And so there's a, a moment of excitement that you're supposed to feel about getting sworn into Congress. But at the same time, literally, while that is happening, I have constituents who were not getting paid, expected to go to work. It was such a time of, an, an, of uneasiness. And so I think that it set our expectations in a very interesting place for none of this is going to be normal. Um, and, and you may never know what normal is from a congressional standpoint. Um, but I, but I think it, it showed just how quick we, we really needed to get to work. And, you know, I was, I think in my position for a week or two weeks when I went to the white house as part of a bipartisan group to have a conversation about ending the government shutdown. And, and, and so it was just a whirlwind from, from day one. For the freshman class, This set the bar for what would become a very unusual term. To some degree, I I don't know any different. We arrived on Capitol Hill during a government shutdown. Never before has a new Congress been sworn in under a government shutdown. So we entered on a government shutdown. We got the government back up and working. We worked on in committees and on the floor all these great bills. We kept passing, passing, passing legislation. You know, and then we moved into the impeachment inquiry. And then we moved towards the impeachment vote. So I have only been on Capitol Hill for a little over a year uh, representing my district, and none of it has been you know, typical or normal compared to Congresses of, of even the recent past. After months of debate, the House of Representatives officially approved articles of impeachment on December 18, 2019. The charges were abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The House Judiciary Committee has now voted out, approved. Donald John Trump has been impeached on those two articles. We do have breaking news tonight, a deeply divided moment playing out in American history as we come on the air. President Trump has just been impeached on both Article 1, abuse of power, and on Article 2, obstruction of Congress. Many of the women I spoke to this season talked about that decision being one of the hardest, if not the hardest, they've had to make. Here's Angie Craig of Minnesota's 2nd District. Well, I think just about every tough vote that a member of Congress ever has to take, uh, the freshman class here in the 116th Congress have already had to take. So from being sworn into a government shutdown, from a vote on whether uh, to open an impeachment inquiry uh, against the president, uh, to war powers resolution. I mean, these it's it's been a, a difficult first term from the perspective of uh, some some tough votes. And, you know, the way I have always viewed my responsibility is that my oath to the Constitution comes first. And so, you know, it was a, a, a difficult uh, time uh, during, uh, I guess, late fall last year following the Ukraine call where the truth is it uh, would have been easier to come out in favor of the impeachment inquiry if it had been a Democratic district that I represent. You know, for me, it wasn't about the president, it was about making sure that we hold accountable the presidency for following the Constitution. And so I did. I I came out uh, in favor of uh, the impeachment inquiry. And uh, it certainly isn't why I ran for Congress. It's it's no vote any member of Congress ever wants to have to take. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, my job is, is to follow the facts and clearly opening the inquiry so that uh, there could be a full trial in the Senate, given the testimony in the House Intelligence Committee uh, and all of the surrounding facts, I believe, was fulfilling my oath to the Constitution. But it's uh, certainly, you know, to me, it was never about politics. It was about following my oath. While the Democratic-led House impeached the president, 
the Republican-led Senate acquitted him on both articles, thereby ending the third-ever impeachment proceedings of a U.S. president. Then came coronavirus. Well, it all starts last December, when some people in Wuhan, China, come down with an unusual form of pneumonia. The many fast-moving developments with the coronavirus changing public life as we know it. There's breaking news regarding the coronavirus. In Washington state, they are confirming now the first U.S. death from COVID-19. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Tonight is the number of confirmed coronavirus cases in this country climbs to over a million and deaths surpass American losses in the Vietnam War. As we've all experienced, things escalated quickly. Borders closed, stay-at-home orders were announced, quarantines began all over the world. As businesses pressed pause, the global economy faced unprecedented challenges. U.S. unemployment went from a 50-year low to a record high. On April 24th, the Congressional Budget Office said it expects the economy to shrink almost 40 percent in the second quarter compared to the same period last year. In response, Congress has taken action. At last, we have a deal. Just after midnight at the Capitol, the Senate leaders announced that Congress and the White House had reached an agreement on an unprecedented $2 trillion spending package. The White House and Congress reached a deal early this morning on the economic rescue package that dwarfs the entire national budget of the United States. Before the pandemic, I asked Representative Chrissy Houlihan of Pennsylvania's 6th District how it felt to serve in such a historic time. I think her response applies even more now. It feels right. You know, it feels like a lot of the reasons why I raised my hand to serve now, thought that I would be qualified and capable of being here now, are the reasons why it's um, important to be here now. I think that the nation really needs people who have a servant heart and who are here to bring us together. And as difficult as it is, is all the reasons why I wanted to be here. Congress has managed to pass two large relief bills. To learn more about what it's been like to serve through this particular crisis, I spoke with Representative Eddie Bernice Johnson, who serves Texas's 30th district. Unlike many of the women I've spoken with this season, Eddie is not a freshman. She was first elected to the U.S. House in 1992, the same year I was born. She's been through many trying periods before. Still, she said this may take the cake. The actual logistics of getting things done at the moment make everything more complicated. It has been a great challenge, perhaps one of the greatest challenges that I've experienced because we're having to work by telephone. We're not seeing each other. And when we have the meetings in the caucus, we've got over 200 people on the line at the same time. And so you might want to ask a question on something that's being discussed, but by the time your name comes up in queue, the subject has changed. Uh, and sometimes your question's been answered. So it's really a challenge, but it's it's better than not having that contact at all. And it's certainly better than um, not having input. You may remember from last week that Representative Deb Holland of New Mexico's 1st District cited working in these circumstances as a low point of her time in office. I would say that uh, right now is the lowest point. We haven't you know, convened as as a body for quite some time. I haven't had constituents come into my office. We haven't 
had any hearings lately uh, because of the COVID-19 virus. So we it's not business as usual in on Capitol Hill right now. You know, I worry every day that we're not as effective as we could be if we were all there in person. Normally, we'd be having hearings. We'd be, you know, we'd bring witnesses in. We'd be able to question them about issues. And now everything is through Zoom and telephone conference call. And so we want to keep the ball rolling, and it's hard to know if we're really keeping it rolling as best we can. Earlier this season, we talked about the importance and difficulties of making alliances in the House. Now members are largely stuck at home. Just as it is for all of us who are lucky enough to still have jobs, business looks different. Strategies have to change. Here's Eddie Bernice Johnson again. Well, it takes a lot of effort. It takes probably more effort under these circumstances than otherwise, because I've had not only to do a lot of telephoning to keep people in key agencies, but also uh, a great deal of um, pushing through submitting of memos, both in the House and Senate, to get attention uh, to the fact that while this might not be the the most talked about and the most uh, immediately uh, in a position to get a lot of attention, but it's absolutely essential research in order to make progress in dealing with the virus. And so I just had to keep doing that. It's not a sexy position. You don't get a lot of high visibility. Uh, It's not anything anybody wants to talk about on television every day. But without it, the people will perish. Prior to becoming a public servant, Eddie was a nurse. Now she also serves as the chair of the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee. She's the first woman and first African-American to serve in that role. She's always been a supporter of research and science. Now she's found it necessary to be particularly vocal about the need to fund efforts that could eventually lead to a treatment or vaccine. The interesting thing uh, with me during this time is that, you know, the panic set in with all the immediate needs that we had to give attention for our citizens uh, with uh, getting tested, uh, getting um, the proper garb, with the testing kits, with the, with the mask, with the body covers, and the challenge to the health profession. But in, in the race to try to address all of that, I was trying to make sure they remembered that we had to address the virus through research. And so I, I had to be pretty vocal in pushing the interest and in making sure that the expansion of research to make sure that we had dealt with that virus and not just with the ravages of the virus in order to get it under control. So that's been a challenge, but we've been able to achieve that. I think generally speaking, we are always more uh, concerned about the well-being of the people, the first complaints, the first indications of crisis, uh, getting all the the medical supplies, the people, the, the facilities in place. But in doing all that, we cannot forget that we've got to make sure that we're making plans to attack the virus. Uh, We cannot continue to finance the ravages of the virus. We have to as long as we have it. But the one thing we do now know that we do have available to us is the ability to research for modalities to attack the virus through immunizations, 
uh, through medications, and we don't want false information to go out. Uh, we're recommending remedies that really don't help. Uh, we really want to make sure that there's a scientific basis that gives people not only the integrity, but the trust to know that they're getting recommendations that have been scientifically based that are real. The pandemic has exacerbated the inequality that plagues the nation. After the break, we'll talk about why that is. This episode of Women Belong in the House is brought to you by Sakara. These days, most of us are working from home, and it can be really hard to access fresh, delicious meals to stay healthy, focused, and energized. Get exactly that delivered straight to your door from Sakara. Sakara's signature nutrition program brings the transformational power of plant nutrition to your home in the form of fresh, plant-rich, ready-to-eat meals. Made with organic ingredients and powerful superfoods, each meal is expertly designed to boost immunity, improve energy, support gut health and digestion, and get skin glowing. All of Sakara's meals are 100% plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. In addition to their delicious meals, Sakara also offers daily essentials like supplements and herbal teas to complete your wellness routine and support overall health and vitality. To boost immunity, try their best-selling daily probiotic blend or detox water drops with pure chlorophyll. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their order when they go to sakara.com house or enter code house at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash house to get 20% off your order. sakara.com slash house. Hey listeners, Mother's Day is around the corner. Are you looking for a unique way to tell the mother in your life how much she means to you? Never fear. WMN has you covered. Forgo a classic gift and purchase a customized episode of Encyclopedia Womanica starring mom. Head to wondermedianetwork.com to fill out a few questions. For just $100, we'll make a special podcast episode all about your mom that will no doubt be a big hit this Mother's Day. All submissions are due by May 6th and will be delivered on Mother's Day, May 10th. For more information, visit wondermedianetwork.com. COVID-19 has hit minority and lower-income communities hardest. I asked Representative Johnson how she thinks about trying to help those who are most vulnerable right now. Well, it's been a challenge. Uh, we've, tried, we've tried to make sure that the testing kits were available. Uh, we've tried to make sure that the testing stations were convenient. Uh, we started out, frankly, with one of those trouble states that for the last um, three or four years been challenged with unraveling of people protections, both environmentally and otherwise. Uh, one of these um, states that has gotten to be, you know, Texas is known for its independence. And so we are constantly trying to make sure that EPA does not do away with protections, whether it's water or air, or ground. And because we are such a large state geographically, we're basically a rural state, although we have about eight large metropolitan areas. And so trying to keep people educated and, and poor, with very poor salaries 
We have the largest number of working people that cannot afford health insurance in this state, which means then that they don't have access to preventive care, primary care. So we are always on the bottom of the barrel when it comes to looking out for the health status of our citizens. That is a challenge from the beginning. That challenge has always been, that challenge was with us before this virus, and certainly it is now. And so with all the talk of it affecting minorities more than anyone else, it's not anything that's associated with just a being a minority except the conditions of which minorities have basically had to exist. Uh, in Texas, we have the largest diabetes among minorities, the largest hypertension, uh, the more um, the poorer health status, probably the fewer people that have access to primary care. Uh, we also live, if we're likely to live closer to dumps and environmentally damaged areas, have food deserts where you can't get fresh vegetables. And so when something like this comes along, you will be the most vulnerable uh, because of the uh, health care statuses that, you have to, that you've had to be, have maintained all the time with the lack of, of resources, the lack of access. And so that has been a challenge. School districts closing their doors shed light on the number of kids who rely on school meal programs to not go hungry. Classes going virtual has also raised the profile of an issue that doesn't always get much airtime, broadband access. We're trying very hard to make sure that many of these communities don't have access to broadband. So that's why that was a big issue for us as well. Most of the information flow areas now is through technology. Our students are being taught through technology. But many times they only have access to it when they're in school. And when they get home, they're on a desert again. And so that's very true in the state of Texas, and not just Texas, but many areas where there are a lot of rural pockets throughout the nation. So that is critical. And I'm hoping that when we get through the, get to the real infrastructure of the next bill, that it would be a high point. Because right now our children, the poor kids who have the least access under normal circumstances are the ones who are really being left out now because we have this stay-at-home policy. And these kids have been driving up to McDonald's or to local libraries getting access to broadband. They can't do that now. So even though they might have been always the ones that had the fear of being behind, there's no question at this point that they will be behind if we don't address that issue very quickly. And so this country, I guess traditionally, has been a haves and have-nots. We're at a stage in our history now, in our present, that we cannot afford to leave the poor behind. The largest number of our young people now that we are depending on to carry us to the future are the poor right now. They must have opportunities. And so, therefore, we must use the technologies that have been made available to us to make sure that all children have access. Even older people now need access to, to, 
deal with Social Security, uh, get in touch with the health center in the area or the meal uh, distribution. We've moved quickly into a technological age. We must bring all of the people with us in this age because when we don't, we leave out a lot of people. And, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to hurt, but that's the same people that require us to pay more tax dollars when they get sick, which will happen without information and, and, and directions on how to take care of themselves. The actions we take now will build or break down barriers for a more successful future. The probability of making change will be weighed by another historic event on the agenda this year. In case you forgot, we've got an election coming up in November. Throughout the 116th session, and every congressional session for that matter, representatives have had to play another role, candidate. The moment one election day ends, a new election season begins. Here's Ashanti Golar, president of Emerge and the host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast. The advice that I give to women who are running for Congress and win and then have to run for re-election is just stay in the constant state of campaigning. Because when you're in that constant state of campaigning, that means that you are out in your district more, you're communicating with your constituents more, you are very visible, and that is going to help you in the long run if you don't stop campaigning. That is the advantage that you will have. If you draw an opponent, you now have the advantage of having a record that you're able to run on to show people how effective you were with getting things done in the district, making sure that federal funds and emergencies help benefit the district. You have a lot more credibility with the people in the district because you have tangibles that you are actually able to deliver on. The other part of that is to keep fundraising as well. Right after you win election, you should have your thank you email go out and every email should always have a donate link. You should always be asking for money to keep your campaign coffers flush. And that's just the reality of running for Congress. It is one of those offices that takes a lot of money. Not every office takes a lot of money, but Congress does. So for me, I look at it from the advantages that women have when they're able to run for re-election if they just stay in that constant mode of being the candidate and making sure that you're delivering for your district and being present, that's going to make it a lot easier when you're running. It's impossible to know now how COVID-19 will affect outcomes on November 3rd, but it's already starting to affect how we plan for elections and whether in-person voting will be a safe and accessible option. What we do know for sure is that electing people with values and skills is vital. This pandemic has thrown the power and responsibility of government into sharp relief. For now, at least, it's a relief to say that circumstances haven't barred new and qualified people from stepping up to run. The record number of women who won last time have inspired others to take a chance, or maybe a second chance, to run this go-round. Here's Ashanti again. What I love now that we're in 2020 is in 2018, you saw the women who were inspired by Hillary Clinton run for office. And now in 2020, 
we're seeing women who are inspired by those women who are inspired by Hillary running for office. So they have now encouraged other women to step up and lead because there's been so much attention on women running. And that's what I love is to see people inspired to run because of the squad, because of Congresswoman Porter, Congresswoman Spamberger, women with young kids serving in office, you know, to see young women in Congress who didn't wait for someone to ask them to run for office. They just stepped up and did it themselves. So I think that is what is exciting me about continuing to see all the women running is how they're they're now inspiring these other women and just paying it forward in that way just by them stepping up and doing this. So I'm I'm really excited to see who's going to get elected in 2020. This election season already looks unique. Primaries and conventions have been or may be postponed. In-person fundraisers aren't happening, and in-person voting may not be feasible. Still, the race is on and feels more important than ever. This season, we've talked about what it's like to serve in the House. From picking congressional offices and getting committee assignments, to strategically forming alliances and dealing with impossibly heavy circumstances, it's a serious job. We're wrapping up this season for now with exciting expectations for more to come. If and when we can finally get a woman from the Republican side of the aisle to speak with us, we'll bring you the full promised episode on that topic. We'll also be releasing special bonus episodes that are lightly edited, longer cuts of the interviews you've heard this season. Finally, this fall, we'll be back for season three, highlighting amazing women running this November. So stay tuned. We're constantly trying to make sure that we're featuring a wide variety of voices on this show, and we've been actively trying to find Republican women in the House who are willing to speak about their experiences. If you happen to know someone who might be willing to talk to us, please email me at jenny at wondermedianetwork.com. Stay safe and well, and thank you for listening. Women Belong in the House is a Wonder Media Network production produced by Grace Lynch and executive produced by me, Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to Louisa Garbowit and Edie Allard. Original theme music by Miles Moran. To stay up to date with what's going on at WMN, follow us on Instagram at WMN.media and Twitter at WMN Media. You can also reach me directly on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan. I'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. This episode of Women Belong in the House is brought to you by Snow. You're likely spending a lot of time at home and you want your space to look good and feel even better. Everyone deserves the finer things in life and with Snow, you can have them all. When you're shopping for bedding, it often feels like the only options are basics that lack real quality or top shelf products that are too expensive. If you want the perfect sheets for your best night's sleep, you need Snow. And if you look forward to relaxing after a long day, you need your bed to be irresistibly comfortable. Snow has crafted the perfectly soft sheets you're probably dreaming about. Snow creates modern luxury essentials for every room in your home without the price markup. They partner directly with master craftsmen to bring you beautiful products that are made to last a lifetime. 
From their incredibly soft European milled sheets and cozy duvets, to their luxurious terry cotton towels and robes, every piece is beautifully simple and designed for how you live. Snow is the home collection of your dreams, priced for your reality. Right now, Snow is offering a rarer than rare 15% off when you customize your own bundle of sleep essentials, but only until May 6th. Just go to snowhome.com and no promo code is needed. That's snowhome.com for 15% off when you customize your own bundle of sleep essentials. Special thanks to Snow for sponsoring this episode. Before you go, I want to tell you about a couple shows I think you might like. The problem with news right now, it's everywhere and can be overwhelming. That's where Slate's What Next comes in. This short daily podcast is here to help you make sense of things, not just explaining the news, but featuring voices and perspectives that illuminate the story of the day and expand the way we view the world. Host Mary Harris guides listeners through complex topics with ease, asking the right questions and drawing out new information for her guests in the process. Listen and subscribe to What's Next wherever you get your podcasts. In times like these, we could all use a little historical perspective. This Day in Esoteric Political History, from PRX's Radiotopia, takes one moment that happened that day in our political history, some well-known, some more obscure, and discusses what lessons it has for this moment. Each episode is just 10 minutes long, hosted by Jody Avergan, formerly of 538, and historian Nicole Hemmer of Columbia University. New episodes arrive every Tuesday and Thursday. Check out This Day in Esoteric Political History wherever you get your podcasts.